With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for Gabbiadini, yeah! His comments! Hello, welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. As the uh, as the Rams fumble through February, we've got three more games to catch up on, which uh, typically for Philip Koku's middle-of-the-road Rams, we uh, won one, drew one, and lost one. So in this podcast, we're going to be asking, are we now seeing the best of Tom Lawrence? Will this season go down as a missed opportunity? And can we just go one month without Derby somehow making the headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh, I'm Chris Parsons, hello, and we've got a bit of a threadbare pod squad this week, but uh, Richard Kutch is here. Welcome back to Blighty. Hello, good to be back in the grey and the rain and the cold. It was, uh, it's good to be back, very much so. How uh, how was your flight back? It's a fair old, uh, it's a fair old trip on, uh, from back to Africa, isn't it? It is, yeah, uh, 12 hours, uh, but obviously no real time zone uh, problems, only two hours. So, yeah, overnight flight, came back, had a nap, and then straight back to work. But, uh, yeah, good. Hope, looking forward to getting out to Derby this weekend as well. So what's your strategy for, uh, for, for long-haul flights? Do you, like, do what I do and try and get, drunk enough so that you basically pass out is that your strategy yeah i either i either stay completely off the booze and try and stay well hydrated uh or i power through with a few uh glasses of red wine so i normally start off with a few movies over dinner have some red wine and then i line up four or five um uh, less interesting podcasts shall we say or podcasts i don't really care to fall asleep to uh, and i try and fall asleep this into dulcet tones of numerous political or sports analysts the steve was watching back catalogue exactly yeah <laughs> the, the rammy episode <laughs> <laughs> again and again and uh well i've got a treat for you for uh for our drink for this evening it's a it's a cold dark wet february tuesday night and um i thought you might have been missing Missing Blighty, so I've got you. I've got your London Pride. Oh, look at that! Very good, very nice. Cheers, boy. Um, what have you bit? got? I've I've got the same. I've oh, also got cheers. a London Pride. Yeah, cheers. Um, from a uh, from Fuller's from Ricardo Fuller's Brewery, of course. Yeah, with that in mind, do not forget that Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, uh, Derby's original craft brewer. So yeah, plenty to talk about. In this pod, uh, some of it positive, some of it negative, some of it just a bit weird, um, as is this season at Derby County. Uh, but we should start with Derby County 1, Huddersfield 1. Kutch, uh, it's not more than two months since we lost at home. That home record is standing up very nicely indeed, but it wasn't a good game, was it? It was not a pleasant <laughs> 90 minutes to watch, I think. When we did go 1-0 up and we had that chance that Waggon missed, I think 
Cocky said afterwards that that did go down as the time when we should have killed the game off, should have got the three points, but we let Town back into it from that. And do you think with that in mind, they'll probably be more happy with a draw than we were, even though they also had probably the better chances as well? Yeah, I think they definitely will be, and I think they would have taken a draw before the match for sure. You know, Derby, best home record, joint best home record in the league before the game. Um you're right, I think. We we weren't very good at all in, in that first half. I think Huddersfield did a job on us and they did press us and we're still struggling. Um, our best performances are coming when we're not being pressed and our worst performances are coming where we are being pressed. And Huddersfield uh, obviously used that to their advantage and it took us, I think, what, 50, 60 minutes to get into the game. Um, but once we got the lead, I was, I, was, I was quite confident that we were going to hold out, to be honest. And as you said, we had about 50 minutes after the goal, including a great third diving header chance for Martin Waghorn in the space of a month and if that goes in it's probably a 2-0 victory and we walk away and suddenly we would have been what seven or four points off the playoffs and it would have been looked very different again so uh, really frustrating not to take the points away uh, from that match but probably didn't really deserve them uh, at the end of the day. I mean that that's the first and only time I'll accept a mention of uh, of the p-word because <laughs> I mean come on we can't talk about the playoff seriously. I, people do mention it, but it just seems... No, I don't think we can. Pie in the sky to me. I know technically that's where we could be, but... But we could have... It, I think we would have been... We would be talking about it if we had won that game. Or we had beat uh, Bristol City, sorry. I think actually it's a Bristol City game, which would have pulled us much closer to uh, much closer to the playoffs. But they're, they're not in reach, and I've never thought they have been realistic since, since you know, probably September time, to be honest. Yeah, so I... Um, as, as I tweeted, my, uh, my, my wife and my in-laws are... Uh, a rabid Huddersfield Town fans and uh, my my father-in-law went up to the game I was talking to him about it afterwards and he said you know I I said it was it was pretty drab we weren't great I expected more but he said he really enjoyed it he he, probably because they came with a game plan which they executed and even if you do get a draw and you miss chances I guess seeing your team go somewhere to a team with a good home record um, setting out setting your stall out having a plan and pulling it off is always satisfying to see and the chances Huddersfield had I mean Fraser Campbell smashed the post in the um, rattled the whole goal rattled rattled the (laughs) what's your favourite word for post mine's upright yeah upright's good it's very it's good straight yeah Um, yeah, you know where you are of an upright well to do post or uh, frame of the goal maybe yeah goal frame Um, yeah he hit the frame of the goal Um, also had a free header Keller Roofs who we give pelters to pulled off a really good save after the after the goal. So on the balance of play, they they probably did a lot more to win it. But um, yeah, it's, I guess it's a compliment really that that teams like Huddersfield are coming to us and, and being happy with a draw where they miss a load of chances. I do think that going back to what we said before about the uh, the pressing from Huddersfield, and as I said, we we when when teams don't make that effort against us, we get we get into the game. A bit like the Bristol City match, which we'll come on to. Played some brilliant football in that first 30 minutes because they just weren't pressing us and they're letting us play. But what the, my hope regarding that is, as the season goes on, teams um, matches tend to get a bit more open. Bit players aren't as fit as they um, aren't as haven't got as much energy as they did at the start of the season. You see, you tend to see less pressing in the last few months of the season. So I'm hoping that's going to play to us. And when the weather starts getting better as well, we obviously Cocky wants us to play good football. We have seen we can play good football in spells this season particularly the last two months so I'm hoping that we're going to see more of that as the season goes on and we are playing teams generally above us who probably won't be as concentrating on us as much as they concentrate on themselves and that probably might suit us I get I get what you mean I think 
a lot of promotion campaigns are founded on getting yourself up there around December, January, February, and then clinging on in uh, in March and April. There aren't many teams who storm it in the last ten games of the season. Um, Villa aside last season, but I think they're more the exception than the rule. Uh, Derby open a scoring though, of course, with another belter from Tom Lawrence. I'd say basically every one and two goals that he scores is some sort of screamer, I reckon. I'd say that's the ratio we're looking at right now. But as I tweeted, uh, a couple of goals and a couple of assists and a couple of clearances off the line and some pretty solid player ratings for him in recent weeks over Huddersfield and Swansea and Stoke and Bristol City. Do you think, and I've really looked forward to asking this question, do you think (laughs) we're finally seeing the best of him? Yeah, we've seen yeah we've seen some much better form from him over the you know, over a what four or five game period, which is is really promising. Can he make that ten games? That's that's what he should be targeting. That's what Philip Cocky will be asking him to do. I think one thing that a few people have pointed out in the last few weeks is he's actually mixing his game up a bit more. So he's not just always cutting in onto his right foot and becoming predictable. He's you know he's got a couple of assists from actually going down the line and whipping it in, whether it's on the right or the, or the left hand side. Um, and when you start making defenders guess, it's going to make his cutting in even more dangerous because they're going to have to worry about him actually getting the ball in from the byline as well, which we don't do enough of. Any of our players don't do enough. Even the fullbacks don't get the ball in from the byline enough. So really nice seeing him mix it up. He's always, he can, I think, I've never been a big critic of his work rate. I think often he actually does work quite hard. I think Lampard and Cocky do quite like the fact he does have quite good discipline in terms of his positioning. He gets back into position. Do you know what? There are a couple of times where he tracked back really well against Huddersfield. Yeah, actually. and sometimes you don't even... It might not... It does re- go unnoticed. It does go unnoticed because it might not result in a tackle. It might not result in an interception, but it might have closed off an option which would have been there if he hadn't tracked back. So uh, Cocky and Lampard trusted him in that regard. Uh, and I think because he does generally show the work rate, which might not always be obvious to everyone, and it's not always obvious to me because I'm not an expert, um, but then you can kind of forgive if he has those quiet games. If he starts having more and more of these um, more impactful games, if it's through goals or weldies or assists, then he's a great player to have in the team, and we we, we need all the t- we we need all the quality we can get at the moment. Yeah. So um, the game did really seem to hinge on that that missed. Waggon Hedo, which uh, it's great cross and wisdom, wasn't it? You, you don't see him crossing that often, but he really put it on a plate for Waggon. And to be fair to Waggy, he did about as much as you could really expect. But anywhere else, it's in. But Lossell just happens to be right in front of it, gets something on it and keeps it out. Um, which is a shame, because I don't think I've ever seen a player score three diving headers in one month. Um, no, definitely not. That would have been... <laughs> on a season. I know, hang on, Stoke was at the end of January, wasn't it? But, you know... You, you in go... a year, it's pretty, pretty... Three in a year. Diving ahead is a, a pretty rare breed, as we discussed a few few pods ago. Within a three-week period, would have been extraordinary. Um, I think it's fair to say both teams had pretty decent penalty shouts as well. There's a, one or two that Derby had. Um, I... Well, I'm starting to regret saying that now because it didn't because it didn't actually make it onto the highlights. So maybe it wasn't as much of a penalty shout as I thought it was. Uh, there, so there was one where um, Jonathan Hogg appeared to have his arms around Martin a little bit, and he was sort of jostling with him. Didn't really seem to try to win the ball and, and gave him a nudge. You've seen those given before, and also another one where um, it was either Campbell or Kachunga. I can't quite remember, but someone got a little nudge in the back from Forsyth and I mean that that was a penalty I think um you've seen those given plenty of times we've 
won penalties like that and conceded penalties like that. So, bit of a let off there. But um, look, I'm not going to sit here and, and quote refereeing performances from previous weeks because I think you can just get really wound up in yourself, like trying to level out all the bad decisions that you've had in a season. Um, you just have to try and forget about them when they're bad ones and uh, thank yourself thank the ref for them when you get the good ones yeah i think i think it's been definitely have been a few really frustrating performances from refs uh for derby county the last last couple of months i'd say actually and i think it's interesting because philip cocku definitely started the season being very diplomatic and philosophical about referee performances and i think it's even getting to him to yeah he's starting to make some quite pointed comments in in interviews you can tell he's getting very aggravated by decisions that are going against derby but as you say we have we've also got away with a few in recent weeks, including the penalty shout against Huddersfield. So it swings around about. So I think in general, it's just, there's just very poor quality of officiating in the championship right now. Yeah, it's all just, you know, the inconsistency in the refereeing is as bad as the inconsistency in the in the football on the pitch. I mean, what I wanted to bring up is uh, just this season in general. I looked at the the numbers for where teams were at this point last season and uh, Norwich and Sheffield United were, you know, they weren't as far ahead of uh, West Brom and Leeds as I thought they would be. Um, you know, they were like three or four points higher after 33 games compared to on what West Brom and Leeds are on now. But the chasing pack were a few points down on what they were this time last season. And I'm sure if I looked into it, I don't think it's going to be a vintage year for whichever teams go up. I think... One team's going to go up automatically with probably like maybe late 80s, early 90s, I think. You might get a team sneaking in the playoffs on maybe like early 70s, I think, which traditionally is quite a low number for a sixth place team. Maybe not. I mean, maybe these teams will all find a bit of form, but if Fulham can go and get pumped 3-0 at home by a team in the bottom three and Forest can lose to Charlton, um, it just throws up the fact that you can't help but wonder if this season will go down as a bit of a missed opportunity, really. Yeah, maybe. I mean, for Derby... Or is it, though? Because we've never really been in contention we, in the we, first place. We've never been in contention. And you can uh, there's probably 12 teams that would say this season's been a missed opportunity at the end of the season. So, I mean, one, we haven't been in contention from the beginning. And we've had a hell of a lot of stuff off the field. Some of it of our own making, some of it not of our own making to deal with. Um, and a pretty um, well, a non-eventful January transfer window because I think probably the board had, had written this season off by that point without with the investment not coming. So yeah, I mean, is it a missed opportunity? Yes, we've been in and around the playoffs for every season of the last what six seasons. So I feel like it's we're probably due a season not to be in, in the in the mix because you, however much you, money you throw at it, however much quality you've got in the squad, and we haven't got that much this season, then it's it's hard to sustain yourselves in the top six for six years or seven years in a row. It's just, it's just there's other teams that want to be there, and at some point it's not going to be your year. Here's one to put you on the spot with, which I've just thought of. If we had, if Keogh and Bielik had played every game for us this season, um, how, many more, how many more points do you think we'd have? That is uh, on the spot. Um, <laughs> well, we'd still have Kellerouz or Ben Hamer in goal. That's true. Uh, if we had Keogh no, and Bielik and Scott Carson. <laughs> no, leave Scott Carson out of it. I'd say, I'd say mm, seven to ten points more. You reckon? Which would put us... Uh, right in the playoff mix, yeah. That would put us. That would put us, yeah, on yeah, probably sixth or fifth. You do wonder how much we do miss Keo. Um, 
a lot of fans were delighted when when he when it was when it emerged he wasn't going to play anymore. Um, but I think it's clear that we do miss certain parts of his game um, for you know for the positives that that Clark and Davis have. Um, I think we do miss him. But there you go. So before Huddersfield midweek, there was that three-two defeat at Ashton Gate to uh, to Bristol City, um, and a game. It was a funny one, really, because you watched it from start to finish, Kutch, and uh, what what went wrong in the middle part of that game? Because the first 20 minutes, you've got fans tweeting stuff like, you know, our oh, cocky balls finally arrived. It's it happening. was really... It's, uh, you know, w- 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 this is the dream finally being realised. Then next thing you know, 1-0 down. Soon after, we're 3-0 down. And despite a, a solid last 15 minutes, or whatever it was... We couldn't quite get a result. So, what went wrong in that middle period of game where we conceded three goals away again? I think Bristol City might have woken up. It was because the first, uh, yeah, twenty to thirty minutes, um, we were really good. We, we were really good without creating lots of clear cut chances, and it's important to say that. And, and a lot of people have said that. You know, we were passing the ball around. Bristol City weren't pressing us in their own half. But we, were, but we were getting the ball into Rooney and Bird really quickly and they were just manipulating the midfield so well with Holmes, getting the ball out to the full-backs on both wings really quickly. And Bird did a lovely little shimmy and that's as good Bird, as a chance. That really. was <laughs> that first 25 minutes from Max Bird was really great and I, what I love about Rooney and Bird, and we've seen it in other matches as well, they played a wall. They played a wall pass. Uh, wall pass off each other really nicely. A little one-two, so the other one's got a much better angle to spray the ball out quickly to the fullback. And um, Max Bird had a great chance. It was probably one of the best moves I've seen from Derby this season. They worked it up through the middle, went wide. It came back to Max Bird in the edge of the box, and he just his first touch just got away from him. If if he'd controlled that first touch, and it wasn't a hard ball to to control, to be honest, then he would have had a, a lovely, you know one-on-one with a goalkeeper from about 18 yards out and he could have probably just passed it into the corner and that would have been 1-0. But in terms of what went wrong, I think Bristol City woke up, they upped the intensity, they started pressing us, they started getting the ball wide and they started getting the ball into the box. And, I and think we remembered that we can't defend crosses. We can't defend crosses, we can't stop crosses. And uh, it, there was a good like five to ten minute period leading up to their goal where you just suddenly realised the tide had turned. And if we got the ball, we could start playing football again, but we weren't getting the ball and we were just kind of pinned into our into our box. And we could see so many corners and if Derby can see corners, he can, can see goals. I'm going to um, at least try and claim the smallest crumb of comfort that at least uh, Vyman or Patterson didn't score. Uh, but but the person who did was yeah. Benkovic. <laughs> In a way, that's probably as bad uh, a player who we should have realistically signed if all, everything hadn't gone wrong off the pitch that, that did. But... Yeah, crosses again. The, the 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 absolute basics that we just cannot seem to to handle. If you analyse and break those three goals down, the first one, Max Lowe doesn't do enough to cut out the cross, goes all the way across to the other side. And three of them have all watched. And Bogle's completely fallen asleep for the for the knockback. And then Naki Wells has, has got a free header from six yards out, despite there being two centre backs in there. Yeah, Wisdom, Wisdom and Bird are also caught um, ball watching as well as Bogle. Bogle's the obvious one, but Wisdom and Bird were also there and just kind of stood, stood back and, and let Wells just, just kind of put it in. And then the, the Benkovic one, he just wants it more. The yeah, ball's bouncing around and he just he, he shows exactly what we're lacking, to be honest. He goes up with low, doesn't he? Yeah. Which is something ironic about that. And 
just absolutely beasts Max Lowe in the air to 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 get there first. Yeah, he just wants it. He just wants it a lot more. Has a lot more aggression against for, to get the ball. I mean, Max Lowe is never going to be able to challenge him effectively. I think Max Lowe is on the post and he just stepped off the post to try and challenge. He wasn't never going to win that battle, but there was other players around that, that could have been making a challenge for it. And it's just the same old story with Derby, and that that kind of killed the game off. We did well to get ourselves back into it, but uh, the two 0 at half time after dominating for half an hour was was pretty disappointing. I mean, we can we it's, it's a difficult issue to analyse, but when you've got fullbacks, and we'll come on to them for obvious reasons, but when you've got fullbacks who are smaller in stature and just aren't that good in the air, like what do you what do you do about that? How well, do you, how do you how do you combat that? Is it about just trying to get the the, the centre backs to deal with them, or do you just try and improve like Bogle's technique and his jumping, or the way he judges the flight of the ball? I mean, there's a few things. I think one thing that's been mentioned quite a bit is should we be playing, particularly against teams that have a, a proper aerial threat and good delivery, should we be playing both Bogle and Lowe in the same game? Could you play Forsyth left back or Wisdom right back? And you know, I wouldn't necessarily play both of them, but that's that's one argument you should deal with. That Craig Forsyth didn't do much wrong when he came in at left back when when Max Lowe is out of the team, and he had some good performances aerially as well. He can be good in the air. He can get caught out as well, but he's a lot taller, a lot stronger. So that's one thing. I mean, you saw it against Swansea, didn't you? Like yeah. when, um, when Routledge got the ball out of his feet, whipped it in, and Fozzie just used his strength just to muscle yeah. IU off the ball really cleverly. And um, as much as you hate to say it, you can't really see Lowe or Bogle doing that in the same way. I think Lowe has had performances when he has actually shown a lot more strength and um, intelligence defensively. And I think he just said he was his first game back, I think, from uh, his suspension. And I think he was just a bit rusty, to be honest. And I think I think maybe we could have given him a bit more time to bring him in, but it would have it would have been rusty whenever he came in. But the other thing is, I think it's just a training ground thing. You know, there are fullbacks out there who are small. Um, Gary Neville was was very good in the air. He was, you know, he would obviously get beaten by bigger players at the back post from time to time, but he'd, he'd do his job properly and he'd shepherd people, like he said about Craig Forsyth. So it's something Bogle and Lowe can work on, and I'm sure they will be working on it, and I'm sure Koku and, and his coaching staff will be working on it with them as well. On the positive side, though, um, we're scoring goals. Can't deny that. We've uh, scored 10 in the 11 games we've played. Sorry, we've scored in 10 of the 11 games we've played in 2020. Clearly, some of that is is the Rooney factor. Um, Northampton away in the Cup being the only exception. Uh, whereas before the new year, there were 10 games where we didn't score um, out of how, however many it was. So at least you talked about it in the last podcast that you thought on a way win was coming eventually. Um, we've seen one, lo and behold. Yeah. We'll, come, we'll come on to that after the break. Um, but at least we're being more competitive, uh, giving ourselves more of a chance in games. Absolutely. I think that comes from just a bit more quality on the ball. I think the passing from the back is is, is improving, um, getting the ball through the thirds. And of course, Wayne Rooney is a big part of that. Dwayne Holmes uptick in form, getting us into the final third has been a big thing. And one of the things we mentioned in a couple of podcasts ago was just getting bodies into the box. You know, once you've got, once you dominate in possession a little bit more and you're working the ball forward, players are more confident they're going to get in the box and get on the end of things. And I think, you know, Max Burr's had something to do with that as well. Dwayne Holmes obviously is getting into the box more. And I think Tom Lawrence has been a bit a bit cuter and when he comes off his wing and gets into the box when the ball's on the other side of the pitch. So I think it was coming and we're scoring goals. And as long as we keep scoring goals, then we're going to keep picking up points because we're always going to be conceding in this season. I can't see the defence particularly improving during this season. So we're going to have to keep scoring goals. And I think we've still got them in us. bit more Rams chat in uh, a few seconds, but don't forget to subscribe 
to see Bloomer's washing. Now, what happens when you subscribe is you'll get an alert on your phone or your iPad or whatever as soon as we drop a new episode. And we've got a few plans for later on in the season. Hopefully, fingers crossed, if we pull them off for some episodes that we guarantee you definitely won't want to miss. But anyway, those are still in the works and we'll have to see if we can do them first. So anyway, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud or Spotify. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. Now then, Kutch, you know as well as I do that some of the best things in life are small. Yeah, Dwayne Holmes? Yeah, uh, Tic Tacs? Oh, Georgie King Cladsey. Yeah, and our friends at Derby Brewing Company believe the same thing. They've got a new venue called The Hole in the Wall, which is a new micro-pub in Michelover Derby, serving their extensive range of Derby Brewing Company ales and craft beers, alongside locally sourced draft beers, wines and spirits. They'll serve delicious homemade snacks every day of the week, so make sure you pop in for a drink soon. Carbonari stationed himself at the near post, that's where Johnson's going to aim. It's over his head and a free header! And Derby County take the lead! Dion Burton kneecaps the ball in to stun the Anfield into silence. Come on there, Kutch. Since we last spoke, Derby only went and did it, didn't they? An away win in the league for the first time in 186 long, long days since the opening day of the season against Huddersfield. That uh, is a really topsy-turvy win, actually. 3-2 at Swansea City. Um, so, yeah, that first away win since the opening day. Waghorn, Holmes and Tom Lawrence with the goals just so great so brilliant to just finally see us show some minerals away from home to, to to get a result when we had gone ahead but then gone behind again yeah and I think it almost although it was extremely impressive to see us do it in that manner having gone behind having led and then getting the late goals to, to turn it round I think it was always going to be the case that it'll be a, it'll be a topsy-turvy game that we won away from home not a we were never going to grind out a scrappy 1-0. And I don't think we home. ever will until the end of the season. No, not this. I, 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 put, I put a lot of money on us not winning away 1-0 yeah. between now and the end of the season. Yeah, keeping a clean sheet full stop um, <laughs> away from home uh, this season. I, I can't see happening. But um, you know, it, it was almost carbon copy of the Luton match, wasn't it? Which you, you guys were at. Apart from, obviously, the result went against us that day. Uh, we conceded two quick-fire goals to throw away a lead that we just that we just got. Um, and then... And then Unlike Luton, we managed to, to get ourselves back into it properly and, and win the match. And it's some great quality goals. I mean, it's some really su- we have a go at our goalkeepers, but some really suspect goalkeeping from from the Swansea keeper. Uh, but you know, full marks to Tom Lawrence. Max Bird was fantastic that driving run to set up Tom Lawrence for the winner. Um, just just great to see and a real team effort. And as we've touched upon on the podcast in the last well since turn of the year, just so much better team spirit, teamwork, togetherness. The squad looks like it's really together and that, that was a great demonstration of it and, and almost Bristol City as well was almost a great demonstration of, of that. I know we lost against Bristol City, but I think that game in September would have probably maybe lost 3-0 or maybe even lost 4-0. So it was good to see something. But yeah, the goals were conceded against Swansea. I must admit, I uh, <laughs> I wrongly thought there were fouls in the build-up to, to both of them. Um, I thought Knight was fouled in the build-up to the first, but it turns out he wasn't. Um, and then the second goal, I thought, I was convinced, I was 
shouting at the at the screen that there was a foul on Hamer, but he was just uh, the only thing he was guilty of was just being a bad goalkeeper. Yeah, no, it was poor. It was really poor from Hamer on just messy, wasn't it? Just no confidence, no authority in the box. Well, he, he sort of tried to. I said to you that he. It looked like a pretty regulation cross. There was a Swansea player who did get in his way a bit, but he doesn't try to punch it or catch it. He just sort of tries to let it land on his hand, upturned hand with like with, with one arm. He's never going to be able to hold that in, in from that sort of position. It looked more reminiscent of a, of a, of a reserve Sunday league goalkeeper. He's got to something. be more decisive. He's got to yeah. make his mind up earlier. Yeah, and we got away with a few before that. And then Tom Lawrence's clearance off the line uh, it was in that match as well. Yeah, and um, that was similar when Ben Hamer had come out and got caught out. I think that wasn't quite so bad, but um, you know the warning signs had been there, and we can sort of, we can see the two goals straight after half time, didn't we? Pretty much, which turned the game around. So it was a, it was two a tough in the thing space to of a few minutes. Yeah, tough one to come back from. So yeah, as you said earlier, there, Kutch, the winning goal against Swansea coming from a fantastic run from deep from Max Bird picks up the ball uh, drops a shoulder to get past a man then brings it up the pitch slips it into Waghorn and uh, it's just a, the latest in a, in a long line of, of impressive cameos that, that Bird has provided for this team playing in midfield and I think we're now getting to the point with Max Bird where he's he is now in the team on merit you'd have to say not just in the team because the likes of Huddleston, Bielik and Shinny are all injured. Absolutely, yeah. He's got so much to his game. He's got, uh, well, he's, he's obviously a great technical player, and that's obviously what Lampard saw in him last season, what the academy staff have seen in him for so long, and what Philip Cocker has seen in him as well. But the bit that he's really added this season, um, which was probably missing last season, is that physicality. Um, obviously, I think he's bulked up a little bit. He's a bit stronger. Um, he's actually quite quick across the turf. He doesn't look like a super fast player, but he, he moves quickly with the ball at his feet. Um, and it's just great to see him have players that confidence and obviously obviously he's a player that has been extremely highly rated within the academy for a long long time and it's, and it's just great that we're now seeing that as fans on the first team pitch at Pride Park and away from home and not just in academy matches and it, it's just so nice to see that kind of talent really blossom through. I, uh, I wasn't entirely convinced that he would eventually break through because uh, when you talk about the young players Sibley, Whitaker and Knight all seem to be talked about in the same breath but Bird is talked about in a, in a different way because he came through in the, in the um, in the Rowett season. He had his debut what like three years ago, whereas the other three are only really starting to break through now. It's just great to see that his trajectory is uh, has sort of been faster than the than the rest of them. Really, like you compare him, uh, him and Knight have have really kicked on, and it's almost surprising that. Sibley and Whitaker haven't quite broken in yet, given they're the ones who seem to be talked about most. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, young players develop at different speeds and at different stages, and they, they, you know, not all people grow up the same. They, their bodies develop at different times, um, and obviously, the type of player you are might dictate what kind of age you break through. At. Obviously, Max Bird was, as you said, Rowett gave him his first chance, so he's been highly rated by three managers now who wanted to who wanted to give the player a go, and it's great that it's finally come to fruition. So maybe it has happened. At a little bit later than some people expected, but there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, players take time to develop, and it's good that the various managers have been patient with him, and hopefully, long long may it continue. What a win it was! Now, <laughs> Kutch, um, a subject that I didn't really expect to have to talk about, uh, one that 
we need to handle carefully and I'm not really looking forward to talking about, quite frankly. But in the past few days, Craig Ramage has parted ways with Radio Derby. Uh, he's not being used by them as a, a freelance matchday summariser and analyst anymore. He This all came from the fact that he gave some uh, some insight into some of Derby's players after the Huddersfield game most recently. That one or draw, which left uh, a lot of us frustrated. Um, but anyway, uh, Ramage said, I might be wrong, but from looking in, when I look over at certain players, their body language, their stance, the way they act, you just feel, hold on a minute, he needs pulling down a peg or two. I'd probably say that about all the young black lads. It's about going back to basics, working hard and doing the right things. Now, clearly, this is unacceptable. Um, you just, he, he he's lost his job with Radio Derby and it's not really hard to see why. I mean, there are some fans out there who thought the sacking was uh, was harsh and that what and that they didn't really see that much wrong with what was said. But you look at the fact that his comments have been condemned by Derby County very quickly, by the PFA, by Derby's players. Max Lowe came out and very eloquently posted an Instagram about how how harmful these comments are. Um, Club ambassador Michael Johnson had his say as well, and that's just a few. That's just before this story went national, before it went everywhere. Um, and the, the funny thing is with this is that I can actually see part of the point that Ramage is trying to make. I can I can see that he's trying to express the fact that, yeah, Jaden Bogle hasn't been quite as good defensively this season as he was in his breakthrough season when he was so impressive. Uh, he he got dropped after a couple of average performances against Swansea and Bristol City. Um, he was one of the players at fault for Huddersfield's goal, although Davis and, and Roos didn't really cover themselves in glory either. Uh, Max Lowe, he's gone a bit more under the radar, I would say. I mean, he's had more competition for his place than, than Bogle from the likes of Forsyth and Malone. Uh, but he did also have a poor game defensively, I thought, against Bristol City. He was at fault for at least a couple of the goals and could have done better. But the the point that Ramage appeared to be trying to make was that he thought both of those players and maybe others, I mean he lumped them all in together. That's the whole point. That's why it was that's why it was what was wrong what he said. But he seemed to be lumping those players in as saying that he thought they you know, they think they've made it before they have which is just what is so wrong about what he said. I mean, look, everyone can see that Jaden Bogle is a, a talented, a skillful, promising player, and he knows that. He's got confidence. And for me, as I don't have a problem with Bogle being like that as long as it doesn't affect his performances. But based on the last three, you could argue that a little bit of complacency has crept in for Jaden Bogle. It's his second season. Uh, he doesn't have to work as hard to establish himself anymore but for Ramage to use language like he needs pulling down a peg or two it's just so needlessly confrontational and then to go on to say quote all the young black lads unquote have that same mentality it just came across and it was just so lazy it's 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 offensive it's such a harmful 
perpetuation of a stereotype that's been around in football for a number of years it just needlessly brings race into it it's just got nothing to do with it um that there are plenty of players who've played for us recently who've shown bad body language or haven't looked like they're up for it it just seemed to create racial division completely unnecessarily and look if ramage has got a problem with those players just just call them out by name just say the fullbacks or say Jaden bogle and max Lowe. just use their names uh I mean, what was your take on it? Yeah, skin color, the skin color is completely irrelevant, and that, that's this is where he's got himself into trouble. I mean, it's the right decision to sack him. Uh, I think BBC Derby have done the right thing uh, to do that quickly. Uh, there's no question about that. I mean, I'm as you said, Chris. I mean, I'm not an expert on this. We're not experts on this, and I think we're both very conscious that we're two white people talking about an issue that, to be honest, we've never experienced and likely never will experience, and that's that's discrimination. That's race-based prejudice. Um, there are other people, groups such as uh, Punjabi Rams, that can talk a lot more eloquently uh, about this than us. And I recommend people, if they are confused as to why what Ramage said was uh, offensive, problematic, and racist, then um, then they've got a chance to you know go in for people like Punjabi Rams, see what the kind of information they put out there on things like subconscious bias and discrimination and the effects it's had. I suggest you, you go and give them a follow. For for me, it's it's actually not the fact. He's used, he said the word uh, black or black lads. That is the worst part of this. It's actually quite helpful he said black lads because at least it confirmed exactly what he was thinking and inferring in, in his previous comments. If you listen or read the part before he gets onto colour, he talks about body language, the way they act, about needing, uh, putting down a peg or two, which you mentioned, Chris. And that sounds a lot like the language often used about young black footballers in this country. And it's generalising, and it's stereotyping, and it's offensive. And it's exactly the stuff that Raheem Sterling has been talking about uh, so excellently for the past two years and calling the media out on. It's not easy to call that stuff out and prove it's racism. So at least Ramage did everyone a favour and said exactly what he meant. He said it was a mistake and somehow defended him by saying it was a mistake and that he's not racist. And you know what? He might not be racist, but he didn't just mistakenly say the word black, did he? It wasn't just a random word that dropped out of his mouth accidentally. He said it in the context of the previous paragraph, and because of that, that because that's what he was thinking, and he gave himself away, and rightly, there have been consequences. Now, I'm sure Craig, Ma- Craig Ramage doesn't think or believe that he is a racist, and he may well be a very nice guy. We don't know him, and he may well be genuinely remorseful and possibly quite confused about what's just happened. So I do hope he goes out and seeks to understand why what he said was was offensive. And I just want to say um, full, kudo, full kudos to Max Lowe uh, for actually for responding quite quickly to it and putting out a statement which I think all of us at Steve Burns watching can certainly get behind and, and respect him for doing so. And it's good to see the club have, have backed him up. And it's just great to see a young lad from our own academy sticking up for himself and, and saying, you know what, that's absolutely wrong and we're not going to stand for it. I think fair play to him. I mean, the thing is with this is that I don't think I want to see this completely bury Craig Ramage to completely ruin his career and his life. I mean, there's a chance here for good to come out of this situation. That you've You mentioned yourself, you tweeted, I think recently, that it'll be great to see some sort of coordinated... Yeah educational response and initiative from the club and the station in terms of um, building 
race relations and eliminating discrimination and educating educating people i think the most important thing here is actually explain to people and again we i've just tried to do it probably quite clumsily but explain to people why what craig ramage said was offensive it's not just it's not enough actually to just to say what he said was racist and he's got to be sacked and that's it that's not enough bbc derby and I think, as you said, with the club, it'd be great to see them do something together. I think we're not, I don't know, you know, how how close BBC Derby and the club are, but it'd be great to see them actually do something together on this, use this as an opportunity, maybe involve Craig Ramage, maybe involve Max Lowe or some of the Derby players and get some experts in to talk about why the language he used was offensive. And I think... Cause I guess the, um, sorry to, to cut you off there, I guess the only danger with it is that if you do something like that, it comes across as like a um uh, an unsympathetic uh sort of token gesture you know no not um, if it's on the right way though i mean I've, i'm not saying you have to include those people at all i think that they need to work out how they do it but i think it's not just enough to say it was racist and end it there you've got to tell people why it was racist and it might come across as patronizing to some people but as we've seen from comments from our fans on facebook and twitter some people need that education so it'll be great to see it done because you're not going to solve these issues and get people talking the same language if you don't tell people why these attitudes which are so ingrained in some people are wrong yeah i mean look we've, we've said there that um some people need educating I, I, we don't want to come across for one second as considering ourselves to be not abo- above any other part part of the fan base or uh sneering at other groups or anything like that but um there is no denying that what ramage said was offensive and wrong and I think if 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 people are finding if people don't think that, then frankly, I think a conversation needs to be had. I think that's what we're trying to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely, completely agree. And I think that's why it'd be great to see the club and BBC Derby do something together on it. I think it could be more powerful. Uh, it's probably fair to say that we may not have heard the last of it, though. Really, I mean, because there is the separate issue of the podcast being uploaded in the first place and then taken down, uh, and then re-uploaded without the comments, without explanation. I think it's fair to say that part of it hasn't been handled particularly well by Radio Derby, and it's not for us to say for one second what we think should happen to anybody else. And for the record, we we all think here, that, and, and all the fans think, that there are some really good people who work there, and that the local radio station is a really important link between the fans and the club. It's a really important sounding board and resource and um, and club facility that has been providing a, a brilliant service for decades. Um, but bad mistakes have been made around this incident. And it's, it's for that that you imagine we probably haven't heard the end of it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know that they've got a senior BBC executive down uh, or up in Derby at the moment, uh, exactly investigating these these issues. Uh, I guess to see kind of I don't know timelines, who was responsible for doing what, who missed what. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's impossible for us to comment because we don't know the answers to any of that. So it, as you said, it would be silly of us to speculate what the punishments may or may not be. Um, there may be some innocent explanations. There might not be some innocent explanations, but hopefully. Uh, the BBC will do their best to get to the bottom of it and I guess we'll find out soon because there's a match to cover on Friday and yeah, hopefully we'll have it cleared up by then. Yeah, hopefully it can be resolved. Hopefully uh, all parts of 
Radio Derby's uh, Derby County coverage can return because, as we've said, we think it's it's uh, an excellent resource that we all grew up on and uh, we wouldn't want to see that compromised um, as long as um, as long as answers are given, lessons are learned and, and people take responsibility. Because you said before that when these mistakes are made, um, they have consequences yeah. and uh, and that's what has to happen. But anyway, enough preaching from us because we're not connected to this in any way. Um, so before we finish though, it is the small matter of Manchester United at home in the FA Cup to uh, to worry ourselves about some some matters on the pitch to talk about for a change before we uh, return of our next pod. Uh, Man United will probably change at least half their team. I think they did against Tranmere in the uh, in the fourth round, so we could see the likes of Sergio Romero, uh, Jesse Lingard, the lesser spotted Jesse Lingard. Yeah, Tom's favourite player. Uh, Gurnings, Phil Jones, he might get a run out. Hope so. Hope so. <laughs> Just for the pitches. How do you rate our chances? Yeah, pretty good. Obviously, it's a pretty poor Man United team, as we all know. A bit They're improving, though. They were improving, and then Rashford got injured, and they beat Chelsea the other night, uh, Frank Lampard's Chelsea. And uh, from I didn't watch it, but from what I hear, a little bit lucky with some VAR decisions. They won't, they won't have VAR at Pride Park uh, to bail them out. Uh, so... I, I put our chances at 35-40%. That's, uh, that's quite an exact percentage. I think I think we will I think we'll benefit from them probably I can't imagine them playing a really energetic pressing game which will suit us down to the ground as we've already talked about. Um I think you know Rooney will be obviously bang up for it. Some of the young players will be bang up for playing on that stage for the first time in front of a packed out Pride Park. I think tickets are 25 quid. I presume May night will bring down 5-6,000. So it's going to be a cracking atmosphere. And I just got a feeling that we could be winging our way to a, a first quarter final, I think, in quite some First quarter final in uh, a very, very long time. But so we'll be back before the end of the month. We're going to squeeze in one more podcast. And uh, if you can't get enough of Steve Bloomer's watching content in the meantime, then give us a follow on social. We are at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter and we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Coach, good to have you back, mate. Good to have you back in the mixer pleasure to be back in the mixer chris in and around the ramshack in technical problems notwithstanding but we got there in the end didn't we just about uh so it'll be morning soon <laughs> <laughs> uh see you in a couple of weeks cheers mm-hmm.